Um, you know, Father's Day can be a hard day for some people as well. These days sometimes bring things up. And so, um, you know, I just hope that you know the love of your heavenly father and that that sustains you. There's times when I, you know, I used to really feel like there was a void in my life in that regard. Um, I have a good dad and, but we never were that close, you know? And so I'd watch field of dreams and, you know, ball like a baby. Every time the dad said, you want to have a catch son? And I'm just like, you know, and now I just, there's something about my relationship with my heavenly father has just changed all that. And so I hope that's your experience as well. And if it's not, I hope that you'll know that it can be. So, okay. We are coming to the end of First Peter. Uh, it's kind of crazy. This started a long time ago, and then we took kind of a break uh, where we did the seven letters, and then we started up again. But uh, we've covered a lot of ground over the past months, and, and it's proven to be a very helpful and timely book. I hope that you've been as blessed as we have in, in bringing it. I know I've been blessed to hear the sermons from the other pastors. Uh, by the way, by way of just kind of a quick recap, Peter has just warned the church that the end is near, and then he spends some time instructing the church on how we're to live in light of that reality. And not just how we're we're to live as individuals, but more importantly, how we're to live together as the church. Hebrews tells us that that's going to be all the more necessary as the Lord draws nearer. But let's kind of, let's face it, this can, this can be challenging because this is a pretty eclectic group of people and not just this church, but every church is that way. We we're made up of different uh, people with different backgrounds and, and different upbringings and different convictions and beliefs, different interests. So how are people who are so different from each other supposed to exist in unity? Well, it's possible, of course, because of our common bond in Christ that we enjoy. But it's doable when we follow what God's word tells us that we're supposed to do. And part of that has to do with with the way he structured the church. And, and, and the leadership within the church is, is part of that. So when we, when we follow what he's defined for us, we can all be kind of one big, happy, slightly dysfunctional still family. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's still, it ain't perfect, you know, but it's, it's good. I love being a part of the church. I love, um, sometimes, you know, I've heard people say that they're closer to their, their brothers and sisters in Christ than they are their own family members. And that's a pretty remarkable thing to, to consider. But I, I found love in the church. I found acceptance in the church. I found purpose in the church. I love the church of God. Well, Peter's just explaining that one of the things that's needed in order for the church to function in unity is elders and or pastors. We use those terms interchangeably. We believe they're the same thing. Pastor David covered this last week, but, but just in a nutshell, elders are entrusted with the task of shepherding God's people by overseeing, feeding, and protecting the flock. So Peter's just spoken about what he expects from the pastors. Now he's going to kind of flip the script and he's going to talk about what he expects from those under their care. So with that in mind, we're going to look at first Peter chapter five, verses five through seven. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So Peter starts out by addressing those who are younger, and he instructs them to be subject to their pastors. Now, scholars are kind of divided as far as who Peter is referring to here. Um, some think that he's moved to a completely new topic and he's just saying, hey, by the way, uh, you young people, make sure you respect the older generations. Well, that's important. That's good. 
We should do that, but it doesn't fit the context very well, especially since he says likewise, or some of your translations might read in the same way. That means he's linking it to what he was talking about before. He's continuing the same thought by explaining it in the same way that elders are supposed to be subject to the chief shepherd. These younger in the church are supposed to be subject to the elders. So it seems clear that Peter's talking about the, the relationship dynamic between pastors and these younger in the church. But what isn't clear is who these younger people are. Some scholars think that Peter is referring um, simply to those who are young in age. And so it would be what we would, you know, those millennials or those Gen Zers, that kind of that kind of thing. I, I'm not a boomer, but I, I know I sound like one when I when I say that. So um, he's singling out the, um, the, these younger people because they might naturally question authority and, and struggle to place themselves under it. That's the idea. So young people often, not always, tend to think they have things figured out. And I don't mean to demean millennials and Gen Zers because the truth of the matter is sometimes they do have things figured out. There are times when I've learned things from the younger generations, my kids, about life and their perspective on it that's helped me to to think a lot more clearly about some things. So sometimes they actually get it right and we should pay attention to what they have to say. But all I could think about is myself when I was you know, in my late teens, early 20s, when I thought I knew a thing or two about life and how to live it. In fact, I remember thinking, you know, if, if older people would just come and sit at my feet and learn, this world would be a much better place. I mean, I really thought that way uh, until around the time I got married and started having kids, actually came to Christ, got married and had some kids. And then I realized I know nothing. I'm, an, I'm a moron. You know, I'm a buffoon. And I, and I realized that I needed to sit at the older people's feet to find out about life and how to live it. And so there's that transition that takes place. So this could be Peter just, you know, addressing the, the young whippersnappers in the church who tend to be a little bit rebellious and, and saying, hey, you need to be willing to come under the authority of the church. That's a possibility. Another thought is that Peter here is talking about people who are new to Christianity. So this Greek word for younger can refer to a person's age, but it can also refer to those who are new to the group. And it makes sense that Peter would want to address those who are new to the family of God, um, to make sure that they understand the family dynamic because it's a lot different than the world. So it would be kind of like Peter gathers all the newbies together and says, welcome to the family. Here are the family rules. We have a group of men that we refer to as pastors and they've been identified by God called and they're qualified um, to oversee things. And and we want you to, to follow their lead and come under their leadership. That's a possibility as well. But there is one other thought and it's kind of the one that I lean towards. Um, where scholars would, would say that Peter is simply referring to everyone in the church who is not an elder. In other words, you have pastors and non-pastors, elders and the younger. Uh, we understand that when we use the, the phrase elders, we're not talking about people that are necessarily older because we have Titus and Timothy. They were elders and they, they were young. And so this is more of a spiritual distinction when, you, when we talk about the younger. It's, it's those who aren't elders could be the younger. And, and the reason that I kind of like this is it fits very well with the context. This would have been a great way for Peter to distinguish between the leadership and the rest of the congregation. And so the way that, if that's the case, the way we would read the four, first four verses is Peter saying, pastors, you do this. Okay, this is how you oversee. The next thing he says in verse 5 is, the rest of you, you do this. And then he goes on and, and includes everybody, all of you do this in verse 5, where it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, you may disagree with that, but regardless of where you land, it's safe to say that since Peter just got through talking about authority in the church, that he needs to follow that up with, with something that we all need. Because if you're anything like me, 
Um, authority is something that we, we, we struggle with. And that doesn't change whether you're young or new or if you're just like me, a guy with a sin nature that tends to be a little bit rebellious. He's, he's trying to get people on board with what, what needs to happen here. He knows it's going to be hard for us. And, and it's also why he moves right into the next subject of pride when he finishes talking about this. Um, and I want to say that after being, you know, a pastor for a while, and, and this church has been going now for almost 10 years, I can tell you that this isn't just theoretical. This isn't something Peter just thought, you know, I'll throw this out here in case it helps. You know, this stuff, like the struggle is real. This happens. This is stuff that we need to know. And I remember this about five years ago. I, I taught a sermon on elders and deacons. I really didn't think it was going to be a controversial sermon. It's pretty straightforward. It was just like, this is the, you know, these, this is the way God's laid it out. And this is what it is. But there was kind of a small faction that, that grew up out, you know, from this, this sermon where some people just had a real problem with like, who do you guys think you are? Where do you get this idea that there's, that there's leaders and then there's people that aren't, you know, I mean, they, it was weird. And I remember having these conversations about this and having to kind of explain it. And, uh, I remember going to the scriptures and saying, well, let's like this scripture, for instance, and there's others where I said, well, let's just look at what the Bible has to say. And they were like, well, I don't agree with that interpretation. <laughs> it's like, well, that's handy. You know, great. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, as we kind of kept talking, I finally just kind of got to the heart of the matter and I asked a simple question. And, and I, I asked this, you know, you guys have been here for several years now. You've seen the way we lead. Do we lead in a way that is harsh or heavy handed or domineering? Or would you say that we lead in a way that is kind of like a humble servant, the way the way God would have us lead. And they said, oh, no, that, you guys lead that way. That's, you know, we don't have any problem with that. And so I'm like, so what you actually have a problem with then is the idea of authority, the idea that there's a boss out there and that, that I have to be under there. Somebody else calling the shots other than me. And that's really what it came down to. And if you've been with us through First Peter, you know that the subject of authority and, and how we're supposed to deal with it has come up numerous times. <laughs> that's because we need to hear it numerous times, quite frankly. Christians are under several layers of authority, right? We looked at government. We looked at work. We looked at the home. And now we're seeing it also in the church. And as we'll see in a minute, all of these exist under the mighty hand of God. He's placed them there for our benefit and our, for, for our protection. And as we've mentioned before, we're supposed to willingly submit to these authorities that God's placed in our lives. And, and we do that unless there comes a time when those authorities command what God forbids or forbid what God commands. If that happens, then, then things change. And that includes what we say. You know, again, in all of those structures of authority, that actually includes what the pastors say. If we ever say something that's contrary to God's word, that's a problem. And, and you guys have a responsibility to, to talk to us about that. Now, don't just leave if you hear something from the pulpit, because the truth is we, we, we mess up sometimes. We're, you know, I, there have been times when I've said something I meant to say, or I thought, you know, I'm going to say it this way. And I say that it, it bugs me the whole week and I have to come back the next Sunday and like, straighten it out because it's that bothersome. We'll mess up sometimes. So if there's something that you hear, come to us lovingly, humbly and say, Hey, I heard something that sounded off. We've had that happen before. I appreciate when it happens because one of a few things happens. One, we get corrected and that needs to happen. Or maybe you get corrected. We said, no, actually here's what's, you know, or it maybe it's just a misunderstanding that needs to be cleared up. Either way, it's something that we, we need to do. There will be, um, Lots of times when we get things wrong, but I hope that you know that we are committed to the glory of God, to rightly dividing God's word and to preaching 
a real, true, honest gospel. I hope that you know that about us and that you've come to trust the pastors here that, no, these guys are serious about this. They love the Lord. They love the gospel. They love Christ. They want to exalt him. That, that there's, a, there's a level of trust that, that happens because what has to happen in every church, there has to come a point where you recognize if you're in a local church, okay, this is the bus. These are the people driving the bus, the leaders on the bus. This is the direction the bus is going. I'm going to get on the bus or I'm not going to get on the bus. And at some point you have to decide that we've had people over the years that have just said, you know what? I don't want to get on that bus. I don't, I don't like where it's going. I don't like the leaders, whatever. And they've, they've left. That happens sometimes. And sometimes that's okay. Um, sometimes it's not okay. <laughs> Depends on the reasons. You know, if, if it's always the stuff like, you know what? I don't like the carpet on the bus. I don't like the, I don't like the lighting on the bus. You know, I don't like the, the music on the bus or the level of the music. There, there's things like that that people leave for sometimes that are, but we've had people leave over things that maybe are okay. You know, there's doctrinal things that come up. One of the things that I know that we've preached against several times over the years, and it's been a sticking point with some people, is the, the word faith movement, the, the prosperity gospel. We are just, I mean, there's no bones about it. We, we don't like it. And, and there's been a couple times where that's just gotten, it's come to a head, and we've had to agree to disagree with some people. Now, every time that's happened, fortunately, we've left lovingly. When we see them in the community, there's going to be hugs and handshakes, and it's going to be okay. But... Um, you know, ultimately, at some point, you have to decide if you're going to be part of this thing or not. Because what happens if you if you kind of hang around, but you're not happy or you're disgruntled, it, it kind of poisons the well. There's no other way to say it. And that's not good for the body. God is very serious about people creating disunity in his church. He does not like it at all. And I would just say that right now, you know, this this last year, we've seen people kind of come and go. But what we've watched kind of happen is there's this... Um, group that's kind of come together in both locations, there's a sweet spirit of unity right now. And there's kind of a buzz, uh, you know, among the pastors that we're enjoying this kind of, uh, I don't know what it is, but it's like everybody seems to be here because they're desperate for Christ and they really want to love and serve each other. And it's a beautiful thing when that exists. So, so, you know, sometimes God works it out in a way that, you know, it, it hurts to see people go. We don't like it, but sometimes it brings a purifying thing and a unifying thing. And, and I think we're kind of experiencing some of that right now. So, but I do want to say this by way of warning. If you are the kind of person that can never get on a bus, no matter what church you go to, every church you go to, it's like, I don't like those, those guys. I don't like the bus. I don't like the way they're going. If that, if that never changes, no matter where you go, at some point it may not be the bus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Might be something about you. Maybe there's a situation with you and authority that needs to be addressed. And this is serious because um, we, we've watched this over the years. We've kind of watched people, they come and they position themselves on the outskirts, kind of on the fence. They never really get into the pen. They never come, they never accept us as their pastors. They never really come under the authority and the accountability of the church. They just hang around on the outsides and they stay there. Um, you need to get into the pen. And if you can't do it here, find a church that you can do it because every Christian is supposed to be under the authority of a local body of believers accountable to that body, not just to the leaders, but to each other as well. And so, it, you know, get in the pen. I would just encourage you because that puts you safely under the mighty hand of God, which is where every Christian needs to be. Find a church where you can get behind the leadership and get on the bus with them and support them and encourage them. When that happens, it's good. Very good. I will just say the obvious right now. Sheep need shepherds. Okay. We're sheep. 
I'm including myself in this because I'm a sheep too. And I know this is true. I need to be shepherded. And the, the cool thing about the door is you guys have three pastors. I have two. Actually, two and three quarters if, if we count, <laughs> if we count the, the vicar. Um, I thank God for these men in my life because they shepherd me. All three of them shepherd me. They, they correct me when I start to get a little you know, wonky in my thinking which I do sometimes, you know, we, we jokingly say we talk each other off the ledge. Sometimes, you know, sometimes how sheep just kind of fall over and they can't get up. You know, that's happened to me a few times. And these guys come alongside and, you know, get me back up on my feet again. When I wander off into the weeds, they, you know, Hey, you know, let's get back over here again. They do this for me in my life. And I thank God for them. I need this. I don't know if you realize it, but you know, we sing a song about prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Yeah, that's me. We're prone to stray. We're prone to, to wander off. And, and the kind of neat thing that God has given us with pastors or shepherds, you remember bowling when you were a kid? Maybe you still use them, but they would put up those, those, those things that would raise up in the gutters. That's kind of what pastors are, right? So that, so that you don't go in the gutter. We're, we're there to kind of keep you moving down the path, and we need that. So take advantage of the shepherds and the overseers that God has given you, because I would just bet that every one of you in this last year has had something difficult in your life, something hard to navigate. And I mean, especially it's easy to guess that right now because (laughs) look at what kind of year it was, right? We've all had stuff. And I just have to admit that I'm, I'm surprised and I'm perplexed that we don't get called on more often to, to help guide you through some of these things. It's disheartening. Sometimes we'll find out about things after the fact, big things like we've decided to move or we've decided to get a divorce or it's already happened or, um, you know, or, uh, it's crazy the stuff we find out about after the fact. And, and it doesn't mean that you have to come to us and ask permission to, you know, to move or something like that. But when you're going to make a big life decision, I mean, wouldn't you think that you should get biblical counsel and, and, and maybe somebody that's impartial and that's looking out for your, we love you and we're looking out for you and we're available. We want to spend that time with you. We want to be able to pray with you and, and consider what the scriptures say and consider, you know, these things with you again, not to domineer or not to tell you what you have to do, but, but to lovingly guide you through that process. It's always a great privilege when we get to do that. And, and even in this last, you know, this last week, it's, it's happened a few times where we've got to sit down with some people and just have conversations with them about what's going on. And it's a benefit to them. It's a benefit to me when I do it. Um, The funny thing is, and I don't know why this is, but the truth is that we usually just choose to go it alone. And I'm not sure why we do this exactly. I saw this thing on Facebook. It wasn't a formal study, but it was Facebook. So it's got to be, it's got to be pretty good. Um, But it had this survey of like, what do you have the hardest time um, asking or saying, or, you know, and it was uh, saying, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, uh, saying, I love you or asking for help. And overwhelmingly, including the answer I would have chose, the, it was asking for help. That's interesting because we all need help. You know, some of you need it more than others. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> we all need help, but we have a hard time asking for it. And, and ironically, I found this to be true. The people that won't ask for help are usually the first ones to jump in to help somebody else. So it's not like they, aren't, they know that it's something that, that, that needs to happen. They just don't want it to happen to them. They don't want to be a bother to anyone. Isn't that funny how we do that? You know, this is pride. No two ways about it. And I know that because I thought, Brent, why do you do that? 
I examined myself, you know, like the Bible tells us to. You don't like to ask for help. Why do you do that, Brent? Oh, that's ugly pride. And I, and I just, I, there was something that just happened recently that was kind of like one of those. I've already mentioned it, I think, but, um, you know, also I'll mention it again because it's a good example. Is when I found out that I had this heart condition, several people kept asking, what can we do to help? And uh, I didn't want to say anything, you know, nothing. Don't, you know, just don't do anything. We're okay. We're fine. We don't need help. And then somebody asked Joy, and she said, we've got these branches in our yard. You know, there's two, two piles of branches that they, they were doing this thing where they'll chip them for free. We just need to get those out to the street. Brent can't do it. I'm working too much. We would love to get these out of the. And when she told me she asked for help, I went, Joy, like, what are you doing? Don't do that. I got upset with her. Pride. And then the day came where they were, this crew was going to come over and, you know, pick up these two piles of branches and, and, you know, over a dozen people show up on a Saturday and I'm thinking, don't ruin their Saturdays. It's their day off. We don't want them here right now. And I watched what took place in my yard. Um, it wasn't just a p- couple of piles of branches. Um, I was embarrassed that, that, that when you like, if we had a neighborhood competition to see who had the most branches piled up on the street, we won hands down. It, the, the yard looked like a park when it got done. And it took this crew of people two or three hours. Some of you are in this room. Thank you. And I remember I just had to swallow my pride and say, what a blessing. I felt so loved and so blessed. And I know that the people that came and did it, they, they were able to bless us. And here I'm getting mad at my wife because of my stupid pride. We need to be willing to receive help. We need to do that. You know, another reason we don't seek help is because we don't want anyone knowing our business. I don't know what, what this is about because, uh, you know, at the door, we go out of our way to make sure this is a safe place to be honest about what's going on. The pastors are the first ones to be honest with you about what's going on in our lives. And we try to create that environment. But when the time comes, people are like, I don't want, I don't want anybody to know my business. And so they'll often go outside of the church to seek professional help uh, where it's quiet, you know, shh, nobody knows about it, that kind of thing. But I just want to encourage you. We love you. <laughs> we know you. We are committed to your success and your well-being, and we're going to be honest with you. I hope you know that. We're going we're gonna to do our best to, to, to you know, help you through those times. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And the other thing is this. The pastors have probably already been through what you're going through. We've struggled in our marriages. We've struggled in raising our kids. We've made messes of things at times. And God has just been faithful to help us through those things. And so we have this opportunity, hopefully, to, to help you through that as well. And then the other reason that I know of that people don't come and, and, and seek this kind of thing is because they've been burned in the past. And that's a hard one because I know sometimes that's been us, you know, that have even done it. But, but I would just say, I hope that you will learn to trust again and, and, you know, we will do our best to be loving and humble and kind and, and to help you through it because we're not supposed to go it alone. We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. That's not the way it's designed to work. We have each other for this. So um, take full advantage of it. Okay. So the church, in order for it to function the way God intended it, it needs to have qualified leaders who are followable, and it needs to have people who are willing to follow those leaders. But we just identified two areas that keep that from happening. One is a resistance to authority, and the other is a resistance to receiving help. And we know that the answer to why those things are so hard for us is, is pride. Pride is such a tricky thing. It, it just it shows up in different ways, and we don't recognize what it is. It's not like pride just walks into your life and says, "Hello, I'm pride. I'm here to mess with you." And they don't. It doesn't do that. It comes in these in these ways that we don't even necessarily see it. So it disguises itself. Um, it comes in the form of self reliance. 
the, the world would call self-reliance a virtue. I can do it by myself. I'm a self-made. We, we brag about those kinds of things. It comes in the form of self-importance. Um, and it comes in the form of self-pity, which we don't always even recognize as pride. But all of these things put self in the spotlight. All of these things put us directly in the spotlight. So it's important for us to identify our pride because God goes on record to say, I oppose that. I don't know about you, but it's like when I hear that, like God is opposed to something I'm doing, it kind of terrifies me if I really stop and think about it for long. You know, if I'm doing something, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm completely opposed to that, Brent. I, I need to pay attention to that. Now, you would think that a person who's come to Christ for salvation would be rid of pride if, if it's logical, right? Because what is necessary for salvation? First thing you have to do is you have to have a willingness to swallow your pride. You have to have a willingness to confess your sin. You have to bow your knee. You have to submit to Christ as Lord, and you have to beg him for help. So we've already done that, right? We've done that once. We, you'd think we would have an easier time doing it again, but, but here's Peter saying, no, nah, no, nah, I'm going to repeat this for you because you need it repeated, and he does. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And as I mentioned, he, he's including all of us here, pastors too. It's the whole church. Now I want to point out, the obvious and acknowledge that this is the exact opposite of vice of what the world would give us. Um, we're continually taught in the world that we're a pretty big deal. You know, we're, we're, I'm a, I'm a big deal. And we're taught that we need to focus on ourselves if we want to be happy and successful. And we're taught that we deserve the best of everything. And, and sometimes it's subtle messages and sometimes it's not so subtle message. I was just thinking like the commercials I've been raised with my whole life of, you know, you deserve a break today and you're worth it. And I'm like, I do. I am, you know, you, it's like, yes, that'll feed, that'll feed my flesh all day long. Keep telling me this. You know, I want to hear that. Even the church in America has been telling us that we deserve our best life now. And that message will fill stadiums with people that want to hear it. If this is your presupposition, then humility, humility doesn't make any sense at all. It's the last thing you would think you need. It doesn't even, doesn't fit at all into that equation. But if you understand that every breath you draw in is mercy from God, then humility makes a lot of sense. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot. Open heart surgery will will do that to you. Um, I I get this. Every breath that I get, this one, the next one, and the one after that is mercy, mercy, mercy from God. I don't deserve the next one. And yet he gives it to us. When you think that way, that, 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 you know, when you have that kind of mindset, humility makes a lot of sense. Every true Christian has a couple things in common. We understand our sinfulness and we understand the great need we have for a savior. And that's humbling, isn't it? It's humbling. But we also have a great sense of worth because of what God has done for us. So, so we don't need to one up the people around us. We don't need to step on somebody to elevate ourselves. Right? Because the gospel is a leveler of people. Leveler. Leveler. It's a hard one to say. It, it's, it's the great equalizer. It, it, it puts us all in the same place. It, it, humble, it humbles us equally as sinners, and it exalts us equally as God's beloved. I love that. Makes us low, and then it exalts us. It's like those Sour Patch Kids. First it's sour, then it's sweet. Right? I don't know. Just scratch that from the record. Just sometimes they come. 
Uh, notice that, that the text tells us that we're supposed to humble ourselves. Did you catch that? Who's supposed to do the humbling? Ourselves. Yeah, we're supposed to do it. We humble ourselves. It's something we must be determined to do, and it means we have to be deliberate about it. And I like the picture it gives here of picking out clothing for ourselves. You know, that's every one of you this morning picked out an outfit for yourself, or maybe you had one picked out for you if some guys can't be trusted to do that. So I don't know what your dynamics like, but, but, uh, let's pretend you picked it out. You, you know, you, you, you imagine walking up to that, that spiritual closet in the morning and looking at what you have to choose from. And there's humility and there's self importance, self pity. And you think, Oh, that would look good on me. People would notice that if I put that on. That would get me some attention. Ooh, you know, it's like flashy, shiny. And then there's humility. It's like, I don't, I, you know, nobody's going to notice that. God wants us to choose humility. And it says that we're all supposed to wear the same thing. We're all supposed to wear the same uniform as his children. It kind of reminds me of school uniforms. You know why they do that? They don't want there to be cliques and competition and and you know, people with, you know, all kinds of different, it, it, it doesn't work. It creates unity and cohesion when everybody's wearing the same thing. And that's the idea within the church. We all put on humility towards one another and prefer each other over ourselves. And you think, well, how is that doable? You know, if only we had an example to follow. Guess what? We have one, don't we? Our perfect example to follow is our, is our Savior, Christ. He humbled himself. He dressed himself in, in clothes of humility, he chose to wear the same things that we are wearing. And it just blows my mind to think about the eternal God of glory said, you know what? I'm going to wear what they wear. I'm going to be like them. He's our example to follow. And when we're dressed in humility, there are no domineering leaders and there are no rebellious followers. The church can exist together in unity when that happens. So verse 6 says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And then he says, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. I love how upside down God's kingdom is. It's, it's completely opposite of what we would think makes sense or the, what the world would tell us or anything. It's just that completely upside down thing where he says, humiliation will lead to exaltation. And hey, guess what? The, if the last, they're going to be first. And oh yeah, if you die to self, That'll lead you to life. And it's like, well, none of that makes sense. Yeah, I know, but it works. It's God's kingdom. And God says that at a time that he deems right, we will be exalted from our humble position. He knows the schedule. We don't. And, and I know we, we a lot of times think of these as individuals like, yeah, oh, I'm looking for, but I, I think of it as the church. There's going to come a time when his bride, his beautiful bride, will be exalted. You know, the music will play at some point. Dum, 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 and, and his beautiful bride will be exalted for all the world to see. And I love that thought because sometimes the church is just degraded now, even by Christians at times, but the world certainly, you know, has that degraded view. But God says, no, there's going to come a time where I will exalt my bride. Until that time, we continue to remain humble and trust him as we abide under his mighty hand. That's where there's safety and protection, kind of under the umbrella of God's hand, under the, the shelter of his wings. Uh, these are, this is, you know, the, the Bible uses, I'll say it wrong, but amph- amphipomorphic language. 
Vicar? That's close. Uh, the idea that God doesn't have hands, he doesn't have wings, but, but he gives us these pictures so we can understand. One of the things a verse in the Bible talks about that God measures the heavens with the breadth of his hand, and that's from here to here. Measures the heavens with that. And it's not like we would where you stand back here and go, you know, no, he's, he's right there going, oh, okay. That's a mighty hand, folks. I mean, that picture of like, that's, that's what we're under, that, that kind of safety. I mentioned the layers of authority that a Christian is under, all of those layers, but the, the ceiling of that is his mighty hand. And so we want to stay under that. And we want to keep ourselves under that because next week we're going to talk about the dangers that exist for a, for a Christian who removes himself from the protection of God's mighty hand. And spoiler alert, it involves lions. So <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> when we willingly ignore God's will and his commands for our lives, we, we invite bad things into our lives. We get, out, we get out from under that hand of protection. We don't want to do that. But for those of us who make ourselves at home under his sovereign hand, we get to enjoy what Peter instructs us to do in verse 7, where he says, you get to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Any of you prone to worry? Um, any of you filled with anxiety? Any of you overwhelmed by all that's going on in the world right now? He, he's inviting us to cast all of that onto him. So in case you missed that, step one, clothe yourself with humility. Step two, cast your cares on him. So that's the idea. Put this on, throw this off. Right? Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to, to worry and trust God at the same time. It doesn't work. It's like trying to worry and worship at the same time, you know, singing songs of praise to God where you just, you can't do, they're mutually exclusive. You can't do those things. Worry is simply another form of pride where we take our concerns upon ourselves instead of entrusting them to God. Now, if you're like me, I read this verse. It says, all your cares. And I think, does God really want all of my cares? All of them? I have a lot of cares. There's a lot of things that I I worry about or think to worry about. Some things I just, you know, I can come up with, I mean, I, you know, I feel like it's a gift. Give me something, you give me any topic, and I'll tell you why we can worry about that. You know, it's fun. It's a fun game at parties. People love to be around me. <laughs> I don't like that I think this way, but I can easily see the downside. I can easily see what could go wrong. And, and a lot of times I can just make it up if, if I need, you know, if I'm having a hard time, I'll just imagine stuff that'll never happen. And so I think to myself, does God really want me bothering him with all of that? That sounds like a full-time job. So then I, you start to think, well, you know, maybe I'll just handle some of them. I'll just handle the small ones and the medium ones, and then the big ones I'll give over to him. Or maybe I'll just limit it to three a day because I don't want to bother him. I don't want to be a bother. Remember that? And, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work that way. He says, no, I want them all. I want all of them. Everything you worry about, cast it onto me. The Greek word here for anxiety is singular. It's not all your anxieties. It's all your anxiety. So it's like this idea of just ball it all up and, and toss it to me. And every time you start to have them, ball them up and toss them to me. And then I just think this. I think, well, how is that possible? Why in the world would God want me to do that? Why would he want me to, to why, why would he want me to be bothered with all my stuff? But it's right there in the verse. Because he cares for you. He, he just tells you, I, I love you. That's why. I care about what you're going through. And like a good father, he, he enjoys it when you call on him. I had my oldest daughters in college. 
um, in, in Arizona, and she called me last week with a very serious problem as she had a 9-volt battery and she couldn't figure out how to get the connector off the end of it. Yeah. And out of all the people in the world she could have called, she called me. You know? She didn't even call her boyfriend, I don't think. She called me. Just saying, that's pretty cool. Do you think that when I got that phone call, I was like, why are you bothering me? You know, click. I have better things to do. No, I felt like the, I felt like the most important man in the world right then. And I was delighted that my daughter wanted to call me. I have another daughter uh, that butt dials me randomly through the week. And even that makes me happy. It's like, it's not a bother. It's like, I, I see it. It's not you. It's, it's Kayla. She's not, she's not here. But I literally, I looked down and it's like, Kayla's like, this is going to be another one of those. I pick it up, but I'm still it's like, I'm delighted that she, that I saw the phone ring with her name on it. It makes me happy. I love it when my kids call me for advice or for help. It's one of the greatest privileges in the world. I've even told my kids that they can call me anytime for any reason because I love them and they're mine. So if they're, you know, I hate, I don't want them to go out and get drunk to where they can't drive, but I've told them if that ever happens, call me, I'll come get you. If they ever get arrested or they ever get into a situation where there's danger, not like I'm Liam Neeson and I'm you know, taken kind of thing. I can't, I can't do much, but call me and I will be there. And they know that. And we get to call on our heavenly father. Your heavenly father wants to hear from you anytime you need him. Does that blow your mind to think about? That's what he's saying. Cast all your cares on me. Call me anytime because I care for you. So call him. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will permit the righteous. I'm sorry. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. The idea that we were like, a, there's a storm going on and we're just standing firm because we've cast our cares on him and we, we trust that he's going to take care of it. Now, these anxieties that we're talking about certainly have to do with the everyday things that we go through. But remember, Peter's writing to a church that is beginning to experience persecution. They're beginning to experience a government that doesn't like them. That's not for them. They're starting to see things unravel quickly. And I just want to point out, it includes these cares too: the small things, the big things, both. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named George Mueller. If you've heard of him, um, you know that history, church history regards him as a man of great faith. He lived in the 1800s, um, built a lot of orphanages in England, uh, never took a personal salary, and just simply relied on God to supply all the food, all the support, all the stuff that he needed to take care of hundreds of children. And he kept a motto on his desk that brought him great comfort, strength, and confidence, and it read this, it matters to him about you. And he believed that that captured what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, you matter to me is what God's saying there. Um, I don't know if you know, you know, I, I didn't write them down, but there's some of the stories are so unbelievable and so cool that um, the one that always sticks with me is the one where he's there in the orphanage, the cupboards are bare. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. And he believes that God's going to take care of them. So he gathers the kids together and says, we're going to pray and thank God for the food we're about to receive. I mean, nothing in there. And so they pray. Thank you, Lord. And then there's a knock on the door, you know, and it's the, the baker. And he says, you know, I, I don't know why, but the Lord just impressed upon me in the middle of the night that I was supposed to get up and make bread. So I, I baked a bunch of bread for you guys. I know that's weird, but, you know, I got bread. Come on in. Warm, fresh bread. Nothing quite like that, is there? That's like, hmm, that's good. And then there's another knock on the door. Milk truck. 
hey, my truck just broke down. I don't know if you guys can use this, but it's going to go bad. If, you know, and again, you just see this incredible faith that he had that God would take care of him. But here's the ironic thing is that he didn't think of himself that way. He didn't think of himself as having any more faith than the next guy. You know, and I think you know, when you look in the dictionary of the word faith, you're going to see like a picture of George Mueller. No, he didn't. It's not what he thought of at all. He just said, I have as much faith as anybody else. All I do is I believe that I have a father who says he loves me as his child and he promised to take care of me. And I believe that. And I'm like, why can't I do that? <laughs> it sounds so simple, but that's what he did. God's promised he would take care of me. You know, one of the places he's done that is in Matthew's gospel. If you're a person like me that's prone to worry, um, read this often. Post it on your fridge if you need to. Remember it because it's so good. And, and it just reminds us that we have a loving dad that wants to care for us. And it's found in Matthew 6. And it just says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God delights in taking care of his kids. You know, that would, it wasn't supposed to be a Father's Day message, but there it is. Happy Father's Day, right? Um, you're precious to God. And if you ever doubt that, even for a second, if you ever begin to doubt that, because I know that we do that, um, go to the cross. Spend some time at the cross. Have you ever just imagined just sitting there looking up at your Savior? Sorry. Him looking at you? If there's, if there's, you know, if you want to know what you're worth, what God thinks of you, he sent Jesus to die for you. I mean, is there, what's he going to say? Well, now I'm not going to take care of that. Sure, I sent my son, but what's he going to withhold if he didn't withhold him? Right? Father, we, we're grateful that we get to... Uh, call you our father. What an amazing thing that is. We thank you that um, you, you just wanted to have a relationship with us and that you sent Jesus to secure that. And so, Lord, help us to understand how, uh, how valuable we are and help us to humble ourselves before you. Help us to, to remain under your mighty hand where there's safety and, and to serve you well. I pray that you would unify this church, that you would um, cause us to love each other and to humble ourselves uh, for each other in this place, that it would, the, the testimony of what that means and what that does to the outside world would be magnificent and that we would see many people come to Christ because of it. We ask that in Jesus name. Amen.